I love you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, Caleb, we picked a mighty fortress not knowing you would be here. So, welcome. My, Matthew 5, 10. Um, when I say that I love you every um, Sunday, I hope you know that is sincere, Mom. And it's not just something that I do. Okay, I, I really do love you. Um, I think at this moment, we'll see in like 15 minutes, but at this moment, um, I have some things to say that could come off as if I don't love you. Does that make sense? Because um, this portion of scripture has just been pounding on me really, really hard. And um, so I think that's the Lord. Um, so I just want to reiterate before we get there that I actually do love you. And I know that, that you love me, and um, I want us, and you want us, to walk a narrow path uh, until he comes. And so this section of the Sermon on the Mount, um, I think will do that, do that for us. So, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. This is God's word, okay? Um, with, with these words, we close out the attitude. So if you've been paying attention and following, this is it, right? He's going to go into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, after all, these blessed are... But just because we're done with the Beatitudes doesn't mean we're done with the Beatitudes. That make sense? Okay, through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, through the rest of Jesus' teaching, through the rest of the Apostles' teaching, uh, this just dominates uh, the, their view, okay? These attitudes, this lifestyle. So until Jesus cracks the sky in glory, we will never graduate from being poor in spirit. And, and mourning, and walking in purity, and walking in meekness, and hungering, and thirsting for righteousness, and, and, and going low, and, and disadvantaging ourselves for peacemaking, okay? The, the Beatitudes are discipleship. So if you have questions about how do I follow Jesus, like what does it actually look like, open up to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and do that. That's what it looks like. I mean, there's obviously more instruction in the scriptures. But if we give ourselves to this, we'll follow Jesus, and we'll walk a narrow path, and we'll be raised from the dead someday. Okay? That, that's the goal here. Okay? This is what it means. This is the lifestyle that Jesus calls blessed. This is the lifestyle that at the day of the Lord gets God's stamp of approval and, and comes up out of the dirt. So, and that makes the last beatitude a little bit shocking. Right? I mean, all of them have been shocking, but this one is more in... Uh, in Western culture where we live, and I'm glad to live here and be born here and, and grow up here. But we talk about blessed, and it usually means more money in the bank, and more popularity, and more comfort, and more ease. Right? I mean, if you guys are on social media, they hashtag it, blessed, next to their Lamborghini or Okay? And certainly those things can count as blessings, Okay? When we have those things and we receive them with pure heart and not with arrogance or with entitlement, okay, those are blessings. God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for a roof over our heads. Thank you for cars that, that work and run sometimes, okay? But in the last beatitude, so those are blessings. I don't want us to come here and say, if you have a house, man, you know, you're damned, not blessed. I'm glad you have a house. That is a blessing. But in the last beatitude, Jesus also calls this. 
persecution and revilement and, and slander blessed. A life that's lived like this, enduring these things faithfully in love, Jesus says that's blessed. Okay? Now, why does Jesus call it blessed? Why, why can Jesus sit on this mountain and say that the disciple who loses his life in persecution, Jesus says that one is blessed? Or the disciple who endures mockery for the sake of his name is blessed? Or why is the disciple who has his name dragged through the mud and slander blessed? Why can Jesus say that? I know you're tired of hearing me say this, but I'm going to say it until you fire me. The reason Jesus calls this blessed is because of eschatology, guys. Because of how the story ends, because of where all of this is going. That's why Jesus can say it, it's blessed, because of what our good Father has in store for those who love Him. Yeah. That's why He says this is blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. That's there. So if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake... When the Lord comes in glory, your body gets raised, and you dwell on the earth in glory forever to never die again. Okay? That is blessed. That's what he says. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Okay? So notice that Jesus says here, he doesn't say the reward is heaven. He says the reward is in heaven. That means that's where your reward is at the present, okay? So if your reward is glorious salsa, which is a great reward, and glory says your reward is in the fridge, that doesn't mean you hop inside the fridge to get the reward, okay? That just means that's where the salsa is. That's where it's held and kept and preserved for the moment. And so when you've completed the task and it's time for that reward to be doled out and, and handed out at the judgment from where it's kept, what's stored in the fridge, what's... Does that make sense? Your greatest reward in heaven. Greatest glory is salsa in the fridge. Peter fleshes this out. 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the hope of the resurrection of the body, okay? So if you start in Genesis and read all the way uh, to, to Malachi, you've got it. The, the prophets and the law, the Torah, they all speak of and, and point to a resurrection of the body to live forever. That, I mean, that's what the prophets hoped in. So we taught our little kids today, and they thought that was so cool. You know, I'm never going to die. Never going to die. Okay? The hope of the resurrection of the body, the hope of the restoration of the earth is, is throughout the entire Old Testament. But before Jesus was raised from the dead, that hope of the prophets, that, that hope of, of Eve, that hope of Enoch, that hope of Noah, was kind of a dead hope. Right? Like he's saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. But up to the point of Jesus, no one had actually ever been raised from the dead. So it's a hope, but it's not living. Now that Jesus has been risen from the dead, that hope of the prophets, the hope of Noah and, and, and all the prophets after him, the hope of the apostles, is a living hope. It's alive. It's sure. It's certain. I know that I'm going to be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not an ethereal whatever hope. It's real. 2,000 years ago, a real man in a real tomb walked out of it with a real body Amen. and ascended into a real heaven and is coming back to a real life. It's a living hope. 
It's, it's real. And because Peter was a witness to this resurrection, he can say with confidence, yeah, I'm more sure than the prophets were. I saw him. Okay? I saw him up on the Mount of Transfiguration when he you know, glorified himself and showed us. I saw him after the resurrection when he walked and ate fish with us and did all the other weird stuff. I sang it this morning. The dead walked out of their tombs after that. It's like, hey, Uncle Lenny. Like, you know, weird, weird stuff going on. All right, so, so that's the hope. It's living. And what is the hope? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? To an inheritance. Okay? Now, I, I, either way, you live again. You know, live again. So I haven't seen um, my parents' will. They keep me out of anything math-related. But I'm assuming when when they die, I'll get something. Um, I don't know. But it's an inheritance. I don't get it yet. All right? It's to an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And where is it kept presently? Where is this inheritance? It's kept, Peter says... Heaven. It's kept there for you. So the salsa, the, the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, un- actually, glorious salsa will perish if you leave it in your truck. Okay. <laughs> tell you that. That reward, that reward for the persecuted and the slandered and the reviled is in the fridge. It's kept in heaven. And it's not the fridge, it's just where it's kept. So when do I get the salsa? When do I get to open it and get it handed to me? First Peter 5 is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. For salsa, for a reward, for an inheritance, for a blessing, ready to be revealed. Ready to be taken out of the fridge. When? In the last time. Right? It's kept in heaven, guarded by God. For you, ready to be revealed. Right? The fridge opens up. Oh! At the last time. Like you get it then. So when we we rejoice in persecution and we consider ourselves blessed in persecution, not because of persecution's sake, right? That's a ditch you don't want to fall into. We're just like, Lord, beat me. You know, we don't do that. What reads in church history, they do that. We don't want to do that. We rejoice not because of persecution, but because of eschatology. Because of how things play out in the end for those who endure these things for the sake of love. Eschatology drives discipleship. What you think about the end determines how you're going to live now. And so if your end is ethereal, you live this thing out ethereal. If your end isn't real, you don't live this part out as real. What we believe about the end, and my end is a resurrection of the dead. It's kept in the fridge from being guarded by God. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. So I walk this thing out now. So if we don't have a real concrete end in mind, if it, or if our life is anchored solely in this age, solely in the things that are seen and we're walking in, we don't live this way. We don't live out Matthew 5, 6, and 7 unless that's real for us, okay? If, if, if our hope is this age, we don't walk in meekness to be rewarded in that age, right? Because I'm just going to do everything I can to get ahead right now. And Jesus says, no, you, you get that then. Okay? You don't show people mercy now. If this is all there is, what would the point be? If you show people mercy now, you'll get run over. That's just how it works. Okay? You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness now, at least not in an egotistical sense. You don't lay down your pride to make peace. If this is all that matters, you, you, you run over people to, you know, to give your kind of peace. And you definitely don't endure persecution. Right? This is what... Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15, like, if our hope is in this life only, we're of all people the most be pitied, because we're getting run over. 
we're, we're showing people mercy and they're not showing it to us, if the resurrection's not real, then we've just wasted our entire lives. So I just want to put that to everyone. If this isn't real, you're wasting your lives. And you should be, you know, at the lake or Six Flags. Or, oh, Sunday Fun's open now. Kids told me that. that. They were the challenger for the first time. I remember that. I cried. <laughs> All the way down. And then that was all I wanted to do. Just had to get through the first, first time. Okay, but it, it, if you know what's in the fridge, if you know what's kept in heaven for you, you walk according to the path that God has put out for us in, in, in this age, which is, that path, it's enduring persecution for the sake of love. Okay, we are blessed when we endure because we're promised the kingdom of God. Like, that day doesn't come, and you're like, man, I, I wish I lived more for this age. You won't say that, right? David Livingston, a, a, a pioneer, doctor, missionary in the 1800s, he, uh, he went to Africa, lost his wife, you know, was sick, was gone for like five years, like no one knew where he was. And that's the famous story. He comes back and he looks all like uh, Robin Williams and Jumanji when he comes back. And goes, oh, Dr. Livingston, I presume? Anyway, whatever. He says, they said, man, you made all these great sacrifices. I never made a sacrifice. This is, this is my, my reasonable service to my Lord. I'll do it again. I'd lose ten lives to do this. Okay, We don't get to that day and think, man, I wish I lived more for me or more for this age. Then I think we will get there. Man, I, this is way better than I thought. Okay, so let's ask the question, are we persecuted for righteousness sake? Are we being persecuted for righteousness sake on his account? Okay? Because a lot of the persecution talk that comes out of the American church is not persecution on, on his account. It's because you're acting like an idiot. Or people are being mean to me because I'm a Christian. It's like, no, it's because you're a jerk. That's why they're being mean to you. Stop being a jerk. They might be nice. You know what I mean? Like, I just... Like, anyway, sorry, that's another thing. So, are we persecuted? Well, if you zoom out and look at the global church, certainly the church is persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you profess Jesus, and you live like Jesus calls you to live in North Korea, or Afghanistan, or Somalia, or Libya, or Pakistan, or Yemen, or Nigeria, or India, or Iraq, or Iran, or Syria, that means if you live there, right, those are the top 11, you will be persecuted, and you will possibly be martyred, okay? So it's like a, like, like to, to profess Jesus and go and get dumped, alright, that's a target on your head now, right? Like they don't, you know, we do baptism, it's a big, happy thing, and Freezing cold water. Sorry, Megan. Okay? And it's like this big deal. We put it online. It's like, oh, look at this. Over there, like, they got to go do it at night and, and be obedient because it, it might mean death. Um, in 2021, so we're six months. Oh, my gosh. It's June. According to Open Doors USA, who tracks such things, 340 million Christians are living in areas of high-level persecution. So one in every eight believers is under persecution right now. Okay, and there's like, what, I don't know, 80, 70, 60 people here. Can't count. 4,761 believers have been martyred this year. 4,488 church buildings have been attacked this year. And 4,277 believers have been detained, arrested, or sentenced, or imprisoned without a trial. Okay? And just to the border north of us, I don't know if you saw the pictures of the pastor who was arrested, like, in the highway for holding church services. That's in Canada, which is pretty, but the global church is persecuted.
Okay? That's just a fact. And the global church will be blessed. I think in the age... Oh, it's hot in here because that door's open. Sorry. I didn't to get that. I think... I think in the age to come <laughs> that, that Western Christians who... Again, I don't want to act like I, I love living here. I love that you have a building and air conditioning and no one got shot coming in today. I am so thankful for that. But I think that in the age to come... <laughs> And we're around these Christians from around the world who have given their lives for this and lost their lives in persecution and martyrdom. Like, we're going to be serving them uh, whatever. Like, I'm going to follow these African believers around with a towel and say, like, what can I do for you? What can I learn? Can you teach me what you know? Because <laughs> I want the love for Jesus. You know what I mean? We, we would do well to honor them and sit at their feet and learn from them. That's what we want to do. That's why we show these films, so we can learn from these people who love their, their lives unto death. Okay? But the, my question this morning isn't, is the global church persecuted? I think we know that. My question is, are we persecuted for righteousness' sake? Okay? On account of His name, are we reviled? On account of His name, are we slandered? Does our profession and our way of living bring difficulty into our lives? Okay? Now, sometimes, yes. So if you're in junior high, high school, or college, and, and the extent of, like, you want to love Jesus, and you want to serve Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus, and the extent of that maybe doesn't mean you're, like, preaching to your classmates or whatever, but it means, you know, you don't cuss, and you, you don't uh, tell dirty jokes, and you walk out of the room when they turn on the equivalent of porn at the sleepover, right? You get made fun of. That's just... Whatever. Is that persecution? Kind of? You're in junior high, it feels like it. God, I'm just trying to love you. They're making fun of me. Alright? So that's real. Um, as adults, you guys go into your jobs and careers, and it's kind of the same dynamic, right? My dad uh, has worked at Conoco Phillips, whatever their name is this time, um, for 25 years, 20 years, 20 years, and he, he's got a, wears a hard hat, he's got a big Jesus is Lord sticker. Um, on his hat for 20 years, and you think they're not snickering at him? Just a little bit. Not like malicious, but just like Max is weirdo. You know? Max doesn't tell the dirty jokes with us. Dad, you know, we have such creative ways to use the F word, but Max doesn't do it. Okay? Sometimes, yes, we're, we're persecuted in small little ways on account of his name, but I would say mostly the answer to the question, are we persecuted for righteousness? I think if we're honest, it's no, right? Mostly, no. And the reason that we're not, and this is the terrifying reason, like, I forgot that I was preaching this this morning until I studied, said, aren't you doing persecution this Sunday? And then I remember my sermon, I was like, oh, no. I don't want to say this part. Because okay? <laughs> it's just, it's been messing me up. The reason we're not, and if it's true, it's a terrifying reason. The reason we're not persecuted and slandered and reviled on account of his name is because it's possible that we might not really be living as disciples of Jesus. Maybe that's why we're not persecuted. Paul says in 2 Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so I read that, and I look at my life, and I see that I'm not persecuted, and so I have to wonder, am I desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Because if I am, Paul says, I'm going to be persecuted or am I desiring to live a life that's just godly enough not to bother anyone? Maybe that's why I'm not persecuted. 
Because my life, my profession, how I live doesn't actually bother anyone. Maybe we're not persecuted by the culture because we look just like the culture. Does the culture live in drunkenness and excess? So does the church. Does the culture revel in immorality and licentiousness? So does the church. Does the culture worship money and power? Well, the church doesn't never do that. But if we live differently than the culture, if we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if we tell the truth and then walk out the truth in the way that Jesus calls us to, we will be persecuted, okay? That, and that's not me, that's Paul. That, that's Jesus. So, let's ask a funny question. If we are not presently persecuted for righteousness' sake, how can we be? Right? How can we be persecuted? I want to know. Let me answer it and then maybe that will make more sense. How can we be persecuted? I think simply by telling the truth and walking in the truth. No matter what culture you're in, I think we'll bring persecution because indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? This is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist story says, Herod, it's not right for you to live or to, to sleep with your brother's wife. Okay? Not a popular thing for John to say, and John probably lost political capital for it. Right? Contrary to the, the modern version of us, he called out the immorality in the political leader of his day and called him to repent. Herod, it's not right that you have your brother's wife. Turn and repent. John is desiring to live a godly life in his cousin, right? His cousin's Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. That's the Messiah. This is what the Messiah calls me to live. Do you know what this got John? Right? Speaking truth to the power of his day and then walking in truth to the power of his day. You know what it got John? Or, or more accurate, what it cost John? His head. He got his head put on a platter for that thing, for walking in truth. Why? Why did this happen? Not because Herod didn't like John. Herod, you can read other, you know, second uh, temple sources. Herod actually kind of likes John. He didn't like what he said there, but he didn't want to kill him because of cause a rabble, whatever. But I mean, it got to be too much. They had to cut his head off. John was, his head was, John's head was cut off because he desired to live godly. Which meant that his desire was for Herod to be saved. You know that? Like, the call to repentance isn't a, a judgment on, on, on people or, or, or mean or hateful. The call for people to repent is because you love them and you want them to be saved. You want Herod to be saved and repent of his sins and turn from his adultery and inherit eternal life. That's godliness. That's living godly. That's discipleship. And that's contrary to the spirit of the age. And because of that, because he's desiring to tell the truth and walk in it, he was persecuted, okay? Again, you see what I'm saying? This just messed me up all week long because, like, I'm not persecuted. Why? Is it just because America is, like, you know, for sociological reasons, like, this is okay, whatever? Or is it because I'm just godly enough not to be persecuted? Maybe the reason we're not persecuted is because we're sort of living a godly life and we're not desiring it. And we're nibbling around at righteousness and not hungering and thirsting for it um, like Reese preached. Because Jesus says, and Paul says, that if we hunger for it, if we desire, if we live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he says, you will be persecuted. Like, that's just the deal. That's what he says. Telling the truth and walking in the truth, regardless of what culture we're in, will bring persecution. Okay? I left my iPad at home this morning. I have no idea what time it is, so here we go. All right? And so, and so, this is not just in the culture, all right? 
It's not just that the world is going to persecute those who live godly. This happens in the church. Okay? What if Martin Luther had desired to live just godly enough not to bother anybody? Again, I didn't know you'd be here, man. <laughs> Martin Luther's life could have been much easier than it was, right? But because he desired to live a godly life, to tell the truth and walk in it, he was persecuted by the people of God, right? Like that's, that's the path he chose to walk. What about Roland Taylor, Bishop Ridley, John Bradford, burned at the stake by who? Church, right? <laughs> what about uh, the, the Anabaptists and into the Baptist tradition? Who persecuted them? Who's drowning people in the name of God? The church. They're trying to live godly. They read the Bible and say, hey, maybe we should be baptized after we believe and not before. Don't. You want to be baptized, we'll do it for you. They're persecuted by the church. So if you aim to, to walk the road, of telling the truth and walking in truth and holding people accountable and for their for their life for their profession of faith, you're going to get pushback in the church because nobody likes to be told to repent. Nobody likes that. Like the first time you heard it from hopefully from another Christian or a preacher, you're reading your Bible and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm evil." You didn't like that, and that doesn't stop. Okay. I think we learn to, to love God's discipline or whatever, but man, no one likes to hear that. If you call even the church to holiness, you get pushed back and you get called a Pharisee. Okay? I don't think you're really a Christian until you've been called a Pharisee a couple times. You're self-righteous, you're holier than thou, or you get burned at the stake. Even enduring persecution in the body, Jesus says, bless. Okay? So you just got to wait. Do I want blessing now or blessing then? Jesus says, you can't have both. You, you choose. Okay? And then Jesus says, what about the prophets? So we have Martin Luther and Bradford Ridley and Latimer and countless others. I'll bet Jeremiah and Isaiah, I'll bet they dreamt about keeping their mouths shut. The word of the Lord comes to them, and they're asleep, and just like, oh, nope, rolling over. <laughs> Go back to sleep. Maybe, you know, maybe it was chicken or whatever. <clears throat> nope, it was the Lord. All the false prophets, all the court prophets who made up statements saying, thus saith the Lord, right? This is the story of 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. The prophets are going, thus saith the Lord, peace, peace, peace. And Micaiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah go, nope, there is no peace. What happens to them? They're killed. They're thrown into a, to a, a pit of poop. Right? That's a fun story to tell. <laughs> what? Poop? Why were they hated, guys? Because they told the truth. They said, you prophets are saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. You didn't hear from God. You want popularity, and you want blessing, and you want influence. And Jeremiah, Micaiah, Isaiah, the rest of them, Amos, show up and say, no. This is what God says. This is how you need to live in light of that. And they are persecuted. What about Jesus? What if Jesus had just kept quiet about Israel's sins, right? No cross for him. No cross for him. Persecution will come from the body. And when it does, okay, so just let's bring it back into CLC, Tonkawa, in here, people who are committed to loving each other. Okay? When this does come in the body, please don't receive it as persecution. Receive it as 
brother, I want to honestly hear what you're having to say here, and we're going to follow Jesus together. Okay? I don't have time to develop that thought, but I don't want you to think like, it's so hard to be a Christian, a Christian life church, it's all persecution, no one wants to follow Jesus. I think, I think all of us want to follow Jesus. Sorry, I don't have my timer, we're just going, alright? <laughs> so, the real arena of persecution, though, I think Jesus is talking about, comes from the world, okay? We're going to deal with this, we're going to get past it, but it comes from the world. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than my master, that persecuted me, Jesus says they will They'll persecute you. So somewhat present now, but in the coming days for sure, desiring to live godly and to tell the truth and walk in it and to preach the cross and carry one will lead to persecution. Okay, I don't think we get this forever. A building to meet in and, and have served coffee. And Did you guys bring donuts today? Yeah. And donuts. And, you know, and whatever. Okay, If we're going to be John the Baptist... And we're going to stand for righteousness in love and stand for righteousness so that people will turn from their sin and turn to the Lord. Do you think, if this is our desire, if this is how we want to live, do you think it's going to be popular to say, yes, God loves all people. Red, yellow, black, white, right? All precious in His sight. Gay, straight, trans, whatever. God loves all people. Yes, God loves them so much that He sent His Son to a cross to take their sins. And He sent His Son into a tomb to die their death. He loves them so much. Yes, He was raised for their eternal life. And yes, He is sent into the heavens and He's coming back again to deliver them from the present evil age into the age of life if they'll repent. We're going to say all that. And we're going to say it loud and we're going to say it in love. And we're going to say, no, God does not approve of, God does not bless, nor does God encourage marriage of the same gender. We're saying, we love, God loves all people. But he doesn't bless this and encourage this and say, you know what, the world needs more of this. No, God does not approve of, bless, or encourage men emasculating themselves to act like women or women doing vice versa. God does not bless or encourage that, but God loves you, so turn and repent in this time of mercy. You think it's going to be popular to say that, yes, God's heart is for the woman who was raped and abused, or for the couple that simply followed the desires of their flesh, and he loves them, and no, it's not okay to kill that baby. Not popular, guys. It's just not and it's going to become increasingly, I think, and maybe the Lord will grant us reprieve and mercy and, and whatever, but I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm trying to preach. But. This is John the Baptist, guys. This is what John the Baptist did. Herod, it's not right for you to have your wife turn to the Lord, right? He's, he's just a county over. We can go meet him. Saying so is becoming increasingly unpopular. If you oppose ungodliness and you hunger and thirst for righteousness like John did, you might lose your job or not be able to get one in the future. Okay? You might be taken to court over hate speech. You might lose the pension you've worked 40 years for. And the question you've got to ask in that moment is, do I trust God to provide for me? Do I trust my pension to provide for me because I've got to choose who I'm going to serve? The, the, the funny or not funny, but just... Funny because it's like out of a movie. Is uh, now people's books are getting taken off Amazon without notice. Like someone writes a book that's not with the spirit of the age, and Amazon's just like, yeah, we're gonna take that one. And Amazon sells eighty-seven percent of all books in the world, so kind of a big, big deal. So with all of this in view, 
with real persecution coming from real righteous living and speaking on account of Christ, what is our response? How do we react to persecution? Jesus tells us rejoice and be glad. And I want to slap him when he says that. You know what I mean? Like, you know the person, you're at, you're at the funeral or whatever, and they come and well, bless God, brother! It's like, no, my loved one's dead. Like, don't tell me to rejoice and be glad, alright? But th this, these are God's words. This is what he said. In the midst of revilement, Jesus says to rejoice. In the midst of persecution, he says to be glad. Why? I told you to start. Because of your reward. 2 Corinthians 4. For this light, momentary affliction, right? In this case, persecution is doing something. What's it doing? It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Alright? So if the persecution's bad, the weight of glory to come is like way better. Don't even compare to that. You're not like then you're not gonna look and say, oh that was so bad, and you're like, this is so good. This is so worth it. Because we look not to the things that are seen. Losing your job, your pension, your friends, your loved ones, your book, not to the things that are seen that are happening now, but to the things that are unseen. That's not visible, invisible. That's this time and that time, right? You can't see it because it's not here yet. Not because it's invisible and kind of spiritually happening yet. No. I look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So when we endure persecution, we're being fit for eternal life. We're following the pattern of the prophets. We're following the pattern of our master who testified that he must suffer first and then enter his glory. That's what he told Peter, right? Lord, you know, this will never happen. And he says, get behind me, Satan. This is the way God has laid out for no one to suffer first and then enter into my glory. And so when we endure persecution like Jesus did, who was accused of blasphemy, who was accused of, uh, of uh, dishonoring the Sabbath and, and, and casting out demons as a demon, who was laughed at and spit at and mocked at and put a crown of thorns on his head and, and nails in his hands, and we lay down our lives in love, we're fit to inherit the kingdom. You know why God raised Jesus up out of the dirt? Because Jesus is the first life that God approved of. This is my beloved son. He walked this thing out in perfect obedience and perfect love and laid down his life for his enemies. I approve of his life. Come on. Come up out of the dirt. You see, the, this beatitude follows all the others in that it imitates the Lord. Right? When we endure persecution, yet love our persecutors. And we endure revilement, yet serve our revilers. When we endure slander, but bless our slanderers. Bless you, man. We become, to jump ahead into the sermon that Joe's going to share with us, when we do that, we become salt and light. People go, hmm, they should hate me, but they just keep blessing me. Uh, Derek, um, everyone here remember Derek? Right? A lot of black guy. You remember him? Um, he had... He had Horrible, evil things being said against him, like like shocking stuff that you go to prison for if it's true. Just like, boom. And um, he was like, I really need to clear my name. I need to get out of this. I, you know, I need to whatever. And um, the Lord said, the Lord just was really clear with him, like, no. Actually, what you need to do is you need to go to this person's business and spend like five hundred dollars and tell them you love them and tell them you bless them. And he's like, okay. <laughs> And uh, so he went and, and did that, and um, that person never said another word. <laughs> and Derek's heart was free of bitterness, you know, which is worth $500, you know what I mean? 
we, we bless people who slander us and revile us, and we become salt and light. And I'm saying that this is God's design for the church to witness to the world. It's not how we would have designed it, but it's how God has. The, the persecution of the prophets included martyrdom. Right? The, guys, the word witness, you will be my witnesses, right? In Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, that word witness in the Greek is, is martyr. You will be my martyrs. You will, sp- you will give your life, you will give your blood for the sake of my name, like the prophets did. The prophets were beaten in stone. They were mistreated and killed. They were rejected and murdered. And all of this was on account of their witness to the God of Israel, to Yahweh. Likewise. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples they would suffer, they would be persecuted, they would be killed. Jesus himself accepted the bloody cup of baptism and a a baptism of death, which he in turn extends to his disciples. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, hear these words from Mark 10. The cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And so he sent his disciples to preach his sheep amongst wolves, warning them. He didn't just send them out. He warned them. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be his master. If they call the master of the house peaceable, how much more will they malign those of his household? Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Okay? Jesus took up his cross and followed him and was counted worthy of him. And he was raised from the dead. So it will be with you. If the master, and just get the reasoning, it's not complicated, it's not complex. If the master embraces martyrdom, how much more his servants? Do you know, like, when we call people to follow Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Okay? Not come and have your best life now. Come and die and follow Jesus. This is the cost of being a disciple. It is persecution. This is the cost. God knows the world is evil. God has seen the extent of human wickedness. You've seen it for 60, 70, 80 years. He's seen it for 6,000. And so to express his love and his heart to a world that hates him, he sent his son to endure their hate and take their nails and offer up his life. Jesus martyred him. His enduring of persecution was meant to convey the love and the mercy of God to his enemies. To his persecutors, right? As Jesus is dying, what does he say? From the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His disciple Stephen goes out as he's being stoned. What does Stephen say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when Stephen looks up into the heavens, he sees what? Jesus standing. You know why he's standing? Because Psalm 2 says he's going to stand and come off that throne in wrath. Stephen sees that and says, God, not yet. Forgive them. Show mercy to them. They can stone me. I'm going to get a new body and be raised from the dead and live forever. This is the call of disciples. And then he taught us to do the same. Stephen's just doing what Jesus taught him. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And Luke, to endure persecution, you get it in your mind now that you'll pray for those who want to count of righteousness on account of righteousness, you pray for and forgive and die for those who persecute you. And guys, this is why it's important that the American church, Western church, church in Tonkwa, hears this. Okay? Even though we're not presently enduring it, if you don't decide now, you think you're going to decide then? Like, I'm just going to kind of coast through my Christianity, but when it's time to play, I'll, I'll, I'll give it all. I'll lay, my, I'll lay down my life for my enemies. 
Guys, that's not how it works. You don't show up at the state tournament and, and make your free throws because you showed up that day. That starts in fourth grade, right? Preparing for that day. So I'm saying we get in our minds now. God, I know I'm not, my life is not being threatened now, but I want to tell you now and pray for and, and walk this thing out now that I will, God, no matter what it looks like. And so in the little things, I'm going to bless those who revile me and pray for those who persecute me so that if it comes to the big things and it comes to my life and I'm Stephen and I'm Jesus or I'm Paul, I've already decided, right? I've already done this a thousand times. I know what's going to happen. God has chosen martyrdom, which is the strongest form of persecution. He has chosen the strongest form of persecution as the ultimate means of demonstrating his love for the world. So when we endure persecution in love, we're showing the world, this is what God is like, actually. (laughs) You want to know what God is like? As you're killing me, I'm going to say, Father, forgive them. I'm showing you mercy instead of revilement. That's bonkers, guys. I, you know, this is not something men make up. To like, this, is, this is how God has designed it. And we know, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. If you are persecuted, you are blessed, and if it costs you your life, which again, guys, we're going to talk about the cost of your life. In doing so, you are bearing witness. Same word. You are bearing witness to the love and the mercy of God. And there's not a greater witness than this, right? This, Jesus said, greater love is no one than this. He would lay down his life for his friends there. Jesus, would we, like Paul praying, Paul told the Corinthians, God, would we always carry around in our bodies the death of Christ? God, would we asking for our, our church? You would just make the, the reality of the cross so real to us. That God really did die for his enemies. And he really has blessed those who persecuted him. And God really did approve of his life and raise him from the dead. <coughs> God, I ask that our discipleship, that um, our evangelism, our, our community and our interactions with, with each other um, carry this kind of flavor. Carry this, uh, this aroma of Christ. So God, I don't know what every individual person has going on, but for those who are presently um, 
being persecuted or for those that you know in your perfect wisdom will be, I ask that by the Spirit, God, you would start to work in their heart these things now so that when it comes, they endure. And they entrust themselves to the righteous judge on the throne. 1 Peter 4, you, while being reviled, did not revile in return, but kept entrusting your soul to the righteous judge on his throne. God, help us do that in little things. Help us bless when we are cursed. Help us forgive when we are reviled. God, and pray for those who persecute us. We know this only happens by your spirit, and so we're asking God. Give us wisdom in these things. Help us walk these things out in love, God. Not because it's right, but in love. In the name of Jesus, everyone sin. Amen. Amen.